0: Thank you very, very much. What a delight. Uh, You've instructed me well in the word by way of song this morning, so thank you again. And uh, in case you are wondering, I didn't have to struggle whether I wanted to preach or not this morning. we just, I don't know what that means, Um, but I guess it just means I'm human, and from one Sunday to the next, you've got to persevere a little bit more uh, intensely than another. Romans chapter 8. Thank you, everybody, for uh, ministering to one another in uh, songs and hymns and spiritual songs. It's so nice to be one place outside of our homes during the course of a week where we can just have something that's not worldly. Um, it's nice just to come and hear and see uh, something that's completely different in sound and content than what you have in the world. Um, I, I think it would be a, a blessed reality in our lives if all of us could just turn our TVs off and our radios off for one week. Not, many, not too many Amens with that. When well, I understand, <laughs> it'd be hard not to watch my sporting events for sure. But um, there's so much, so much trash on television. Oh my word! It's just, uh, it's just beautiful to come here and. Be with you people, hear you sing, watch you learn, see the evidence of your learning in your life by God's grace. Um, And the worship of God's people should always be very unique in sound and content. And uh, the way we love each other, there should not be uh, anyone uh, on the globe that should be able to love each other like God's people do. Um, So anyways, thank you for your encouragement. and uh, it's a delight to be uh, with you on every lord's day you know we've uh, had a lot of unique things happening in our world i know that um, pastors at the beginning of our service um, prayed for those who had been affected by various tragedies i um, i've been wondering a lot why romans 8 at this particular time in our uh, american history and at least in our church's history has meant so much to us and i think It has for a lot of reasons, but uh, the last month or so, it's been a uniquely unsettling time, hasn't it, in our world? And um, it's wonderful for God's people to contemplate security and spiritual assurance when uh, the world uh, is experiencing the opposite of both. One of the things that's been uniquely a blessing to me, as I've already mentioned this morning and last week, is your singing. Um, Often when our hearts are a little bewildered by what's going on in our lives personally and then what's going on nationally and globally, um, one of the things that certainly settles our hearts are just being able to whistle or sing a tune of a favorite hymn. Singing of these hymns that contains so many promises of the Lord, uh, brings assurance to our hearts, doesn't it? Um, Regardless what your favorite hymn is, How Great Thou Art, Blessed Assurance, and Can It Be, hymns we sang this morning. Uh, Singing God's word uh, brings assurance and security to the Christian heart, uh, no matter what our circumstances may be. What we have here in Romans chapter 8 verses 31 to 39 has been called by many, many, many a glorious hymn of Christian security and assurance. A glorious hymn, a song of Christian security and assurance. Chapter 8 has proven to be a splendid passage of God's preserved word, replete with numerous promises from our Lord regarding our spiritual security and our assurance in Christ Jesus. I want you in your own time to highlight verse one and verse 39. As a matter of fact, this chapter on assurance begins and ends with the reality that there is no condemnation to those who are what? In Christ, but how does verse 39 conclude? Pretty much the same way. The whole chapter on assurance and Christian security at this latter part of our understanding of the doctrine of salvation, justification, sanctification, verses chapter 6 and 7, now chapter 8, preservation, assurance. This chapter as appropriate divine bookend, doesn't it? There's nothing that can befall, there's nothing that can negatively befall someone who is in Christ Jesus. As we head into the final section of chapter eight, we have a portion of scripture that will and has for millennia of time settled the Christian heart even more as if we needed, as if we needed 31 to 39 after we had verses 1 to 30. If we had to be reassured anymore, which we really didn't, but it's awfully nice to have. uh, The Lord gives us this, this song of security and assurance to settle our hearts. Um, And the whole chapter uh, crescendos to this glorious uh, conclusion. It's almost like the Apostle Paul knew that even mature hearts like the Christians at Rome would still struggle from time to time with insecurity and assurance. We mentioned that briefly last week, that regardless how long you've been in Christ, how long you've been walking with Christ, we still have seasons of insecurity and lack of assurance, don't we? And so we settle our hearts back on this objective truth of this passage and all of its layers that we've unpacked, and uh, we, we move forward into this final layer in which we'll probably spend several weeks. Uh, I, I hope, I'm assuming, because you're here, um, most of you week after week, that, that you're okay that we're going through chapter 8 so slowly. Um, and I think, again, in God's providence, uh, I had three sermons charted out for chapter 8 back in January. Just three. So, surprise, surprise. But I wonder, I wonder, I don't wonder, I'm pretty sure that the Lord has us settled down in Romans chapter 8 just because of what is going on in the world recently. And, and, and some of the things we're struggling with in our own lives that many of us have discussed in person Uh, So, I hope it's uh, it's helpful to you. Um, I want to, by way of introduction to verses 31 to 39, just highlight for us some some truths, some realities about this text that'll help us understand it. Verses 31 to 39, uh, these verses are centered around seven different questions. Seven different questions. I don't presume often in the scriptures much about numbers in the Bible. But I do find it interesting that this passage on assurance and security contains seven questions. And the number seven in the Bible is a number of completion. So I almost wonder if the Holy Spirit by way of the hand of Paul is just putting on there yet another significant Truth and reality for us to settle our hearts, that the Lord Jesus is Christ, Lord Jesus Christ's um, reality in our lives, when we come to know Him, does bring ultimate and complete and full assurance and security to each of us. What we'll notice, not about all seven, but at least five of the seven we'll notice, number two, that these questions have no answers to them. These aren't rhetorical or reciprocal. These are just questions that have no answer to them. And we'll study what a blessing that is uh, as we move through each of these questions in the next few weeks together. In other words, these are questions that when asked the believer in Rome... The mature believer, and the believers growing in Christ likeness here at Grace, when these questions are asked, um, they're questions that have no answer, and not having an answer for these questions brings us great joy, and and brings us um, great security, increased security that there is no answer to these questions. You say that's not a very good reality for us. When we have questions, we need to have answers. Well, you'll see. Uh, You'll see that these questions don't need answers because there are no answers and it'll settle your heart. But I will tell you this, that when these questions are asked to the world, the world cannot give answer either. They try, but they're incapable because there simply are no answers. So let's read our passage, and let's highlight these questions, and then begin to preach through them over the next several weeks, and I hope that uh, the reality from these next several weeks will even settle your heart more and, and bring greater peace to your heart, okay? Verse 31 starts off with the first one. What then shall we say to these things? Question number two, if God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. Question number three. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? Question number four. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Next question. Who will separate us from the love of God in Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, just as it is written, for your sake we are all being put to death Who is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, my original three messages for chapter 8 were no condemnation, right? Right. No distraction, no separation. Um, Now, we're working into multiple sermons, but this is really the beginning again of that final section of three. Really, nothing can separate us from the love of God, no separation. So let's begin to consider these questions one at a time. And the first one is this, what then shall we say to these things? In verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? You will notice the phrase, these things, is mentioned twice in the verses that we've read this morning. Once here, and then again in verse 37. My point this morning is not to address verse 37, that'll come in future weeks, but for today... The these things in verse 31 refer to what? There are are not conflicting, not disagreeing, but two understandings to what the words these things refer to. Most people that you read and study on this passage believe they refer to all the blessings of security and assurance shared with us in chapter 8. Uh, There's one author, and he's the author by which we've taken the whole outline of the book of Romans uh, and divided it up. He's a very well-respected author. His conclusion is that this first of many questions in verses 31 to 39 is the conclusion of all of the first eight chapters of the book of Romans, not just chapter eight. Regardless, what shall we say to these things? Whether it is the conclusion of chapter 8 or the conclusion of the first eight chapters. The Apostle Paul's point here in this first of several questions is this. This is one of the questions that does have an answer. While we'll study some questions that won't have an answer, this one does. What shall we say to these things? Now, over the last few weeks that we've been studying Romans chapter 8, there have been many, many, many discussions in the fellowship hall, in discipleship meetings, in Bible studies, in the hallways, in the parking lot, you with me over text and social media, right? Facebook, phone calls. There have been many conversations about these things in Romans chapter 8. And collectively, we've been discussing these things, we've been studying together, and it's brought an increased calm and a sense of peace to our hearts, especially again in light of all that's going on that's a bit unexpected and kind of crazy in our world. What shall we say to these things? I think the Apostle Paul is saying here, there is much to say about these things. And for someone who's growing in Christ's likeness, it is the these things of chapter 8 that remind us of our personal and then collective security that we have in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we must often speak of these things. Our conversation during the course of the week is necessarily given to our vocations. We understand that. It's necessarily given to the mundane, ordinary things of life, and and I understand that. But what the Apostle Paul here is asking the Roman people who are a mature people, what will you say of these things? How often are these things, these realities of spiritual assurance and uh, security, discussed in your home? How often do you and your spouse discuss these things? How often do these matters outlined very clearly for us in chapter 8 become discussions with you and your children? And you and the person that you're shepherding or being shepherded by. What do you say of these things? Now you say, Pastor, you're, uh, you're changing the grammar there. Well... It says, what then shall we say to these things? But we is just a collective bunch of yous. (laughs) What will you, what do you say about these things? Think of Deuteronomy chapter 6 with our spouses and our children. How often do we discuss matters of Scripture? How often do we really unpack the practical applications of this text among us in our own homes, in our relationships here at Grace Church? I believe uh, the question is meant to arouse the attention of faithful Roman mature believers and, and, and to remind these faithful people that these are the things that must be discussed. These are the things that must be rehearsed. These are the things, though we know them well, must be regularly discussed. Cross-reference here in the margin of your Bible, 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. And I want you to read that chapter on your own time. Now this is the Apostle Peter's last will and testament. He's about to face death at the hands of Emperor Nero. And he uses the phrase, these things, multiple times in chapter 1. And the words, these things, refer to things in 2 Peter chapter 1 that are very familiar realities to the Christian experience. But here's an apostle of Christ about to be martyred, and he's saying to the churches spread abroad through Asia and Asia Minor that were recipients of that epistle, that letter, who are the most afflicted people in church history. Rehearse these things, these things, these things, these things. These are the fundamental things. Rehearse, 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 rehearse. Now, we know when Paul says this, first question to the Roman people, they were not yet a persecuted people, but they were about to be. We don't know what's on the horizon for us in our world. But as your shepherd, I would just like to encourage you, keep rehearsing these things. Keep rehearsing these things. When Peter wrote to the churches of Asia and Asia Minor, when Paul's writing to Rome, none of them have Bibles they're carrying around on devices Or none of them have Bibles, as Mr. Richard reminded us before the choir saying this morning, uh, to open and to enjoy. None of them had scriptures. You understand that? So it was incumbent upon them to always rehearse these things. They had to take that which was handed down to them, by oral tradition, preserved in traveling letters that they did not have access to, they had to constantly speak of these things. This was what held them together personally, and this is what held them together collectively as a church body. They had to be familiar with these things. Think about that in light of Psalm 119, 9 through 11, right? How in the world is, are we going how is, to, how is a young man going to cleanse his way? By doing what? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. There's no one in David's day that's going to be able to pick up a Bible or even a recorded Torah and memorize it. These folks were remembering what they had heard, and the only way they could continue to perpetuate that memory was to constantly discuss these things. I know, it's it's almost unfathomable for us to even think that we could live in a culture where we did not have access to the scriptures. It's unthinkable to us. But how in the world is the word of God perpetuated to the children of God over time without the written word of God being accessible to them? When it's heard and when it's taught, it must be discussed among God's people. It must. That's what makes disciple-making so important. Look, folks, again, disciple-making is not something that Grace Church of Menor does as a program. It's a New Testament mandate. That's right. Go, therefore, and what? Make disciples of all nations. Discipleship just doesn't get to be some type of programmatic buzzword in the early part of the 21st century that some church gets to grow its numbers by. How ridiculous is that thought? Disciple making requires that we rehearse these things. What do you say of these things? You say, okay, Pastor Tim, it's kind of getting redundant what do you say of these things? Now, when I say, what do you say of these things? There's two kinds of yous in the auditorium this morning. Are you ready to listen? And I would just encourage everyone to listen to this. There are believing yous and there are unbelieving yous. So I would ask you, what do you say to these things? Many of you have spoken, as I said earlier, a lot about Romans chapter eight, and it's brought increased comfort and security to your hearts. So keep speaking about these things. But what about the unbelieving use in the auditorium? Can I just encourage you? I think there's only kind of two ways that people who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior respond to a detailed, long series of messages on one chapter of the Bible. It's either indifference or animosity. So in other words, when Paul says, What do we or what do you think of these things or what say you of these things? If you're an unbelieving soul here, it's probably been whatever. If that's what they want to believe, that's fine. That's cool. We're in a pluralistic society where truth is relative to everybody. And we're all self identifying and self determining ourselves. So, really, whatever. It's all right. It's cool. I've got a friend that comes to church here, just like to be with them, and it's a beautiful day outside. Can't wait to go put my boat away for the winter after church. It's cool. Pastor Tim, nice guy, wears really nice-looking ties. <laughs> so, really appreciate saying hi to him. You know, A lot of people around here smile. I don't get it all the time, but that's good. If it it works for them, it's fine. That's indifference. But unbelief also loves to debate and disagree and say, you've got to be kidding me. You actually believe that? God did what? He foreknew, he predestined, he called. What? That's nuts. Why would you want to serve a God that did that? Indifference or animosity? I would just encourage you to listen to the the question that God the Spirit had Paul write here. What is your reaction to these things? Have they settled your heart? Or have they embittered your heart? Caused it to be indifferent? Because how you answer this first question determines if you are in Christ or not. And I really challenge the hearts of kids here who grew up in, uns- in, in, in Christian homes. Are you listening? How many of you are growing up in a Christian home right now? Raise your hand. All right. All right, I'm going to take one minute and direct my attention to you. Are you ready? What are you saying to these things? Because second and third generation young people, they can listen to these things indifferently. You'll never mock them. You'll never debate him, typically. But are you engaged? The art of the use of a question is to engage the heart and the mind. Are you engaged? Are you even concerned? What do you, second and third generation believer, what do you say to these things of assurance and security? All right, well, I think it's okay to move on to our second question. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Again, whether these things refer to the data that we've shared in preaching and teaching in chapter eight, or whether it includes all of the first eight chapters, um, I'll leave that up to your discernment, but I believe the question is sufficient for both ideas, what do you say to these things if we're going to go back to the whole book? Right. We divided the book up according to questions. And the first question was, who needs Christ? And Paul answered that, right? All the world needs Christ. Right. So, condemnation was the first section. Salvation was the second section. How do we find out spiritual assurance and security in salvation? Well, it's in Christ Jesus. And salvation has three glorious aspects to it. Justification, chapters 3 to 5. Sanctification, chapters 6 and 7. And now chapter 8, preservation. What do you say, to those things? Are you saved if you are? Are you aware? Are you spiritually aware and conversing about these things? We'll begin to dive into our second question here and look forward to concluding it next week. What is the second question? If God before us Who can be against us? The second part of verse 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? This is the first question that is asked that has no answer. Think about it. It has no answer. You say, Pastor Tim, there are many forces against us in the world in our cosmos. We all have enemies, both spiritual and physical. I mean, even the Apostle Paul lays out the enemies of the world, the flesh, and the devil, doesn't he? First John 2, 15 to 17, don't love the world, neither the things that are in the world, right? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. What about our own flesh, Pastor Tim? In Galatians 5, Our own flesh is at war against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. What do you mean? Who's against us? There's all all kinds of people and things against us. What about the devil? Why did Paul even write in Ephesians chapter 6 that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in dark places? Why did he write about the wicked one of this world, the prince of this world in 2 Corinthians chapter 4? What does Paul mean? If God be for us, who could be against us? And there's no answer to that question. No. Let's go back just for a moment to the last time we were together and examine a few words. Because remember, whenever you interpret scripture, you have to interpret it in light of its immediate context. When it says, if God is for us, who can be against us? We have to understand that question in light of the immediate context. There were five words that we discovered or studied for the first time for some of us last week. For know, predestined, called, justified, and glorified. Again, I'm not really big on numerology in Scripture, but the Lord's given us there five words, and five is the number of grace in the Scriptures, the grace of God. And what grace did God bestow upon us in those five words? It is indeed the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you'll notice, from foreknow to glorified, we go from eternity to eternity. From eternity to eternity. In Christ Jesus... From eternity to eternity, we are safe and secure from all alarm. The only part of the here and now represented in those five words we looked at last week are called and justified. But if you remember the grammar of those two words, called and justified... The reality remains the same that ever since we've come to know personally that grace in Christ Jesus, turned from our sin and placed our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have been forever secure in the eternal logos of God. So from eternity to eternity, who really can be against us? There's no answer. The Christian stands silent rejoicing. He's done it all. (laughs) Praise God. No matter what my conflict today, from eternity to eternity, it's all paid for in full by Jesus Christ, the eternal one of God. I am his, and he's mine, and he's God's, so I'm God's in Christ from eternity to eternity. No one can stand against us. And when the world without Jesus Christ is asked this question, if God is for you, then who's against you? They stand in silence with a different heart response. Because in reality, God is not for them. So the world is against them. The world, the flesh, and the devil. So the only thing man can do without Jesus Christ is run to their own self-definition of their individuality, of divinity, of what's going on in this world, To find peace, but in that hour, they still can't find ultimate peace. The best they can do is this when I breathe my last on this earth, it's just done. It's all over. It was either a good ride, it was a bad ride, and it's over. But even in that moment, Solomon would say, You're kind of lying to yourself. Because God said eternity in your heart. You know when you breathe your last, it's not over. Remember chapter 8 and verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Those who are outside of Christ. Eternal judgment. At a place called hell. Awaits those who do not turn from their sin. And place their faith in Jesus Christ. And so for the Christian who's asked this question, there's no response. It brings us great joy. When you get asked this question, what will you say of these things? And you're without Jesus Christ. God is not for you. So everything's against you. And you need to throw yourself at the mercies of Jesus Christ. And turn from your sin and trust him. And you need to do that today. No need to rehearse all the unexpected things that have happened in our world in the last month where you cannot say, I will wake up tomorrow. You just can't say that. You've got to be prepared for eternity. But for the believer, from eternity to eternity, safe am I, right? Safe am I in the hollow of his hand. I want to conclude this morning's message by highlighting for us the first word of the second question of verse 31. The New American Standard says, If God be for us, in the margin of your Bible, don't cross out the word if, but why don't you just write there because. Because in the Greek grammar of the New Testament, that's what it says. Because God is for us from eternity to eternity, there's no answer to this question Who can be against us? There's no answer. Even though he wasn't a New Testament saint, but an Old Testament saint. I love the word of the psalmist in Psalm 73 and verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? God is for us who can be against us. He says, he who did not spare his own son These things. For your sake, we are being put to death all the day long, Psalm 73. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. I tell you what, can we just go there? Let's do it. I think it does justice and let's close. I want you to go to Psalm 73. Psalm 73. Verse 21. My heart was embittered, and I was pierced within, and I was senseless and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You have taken hold of my right hand. With your counsel, you will guide me, and afterward receive me to glory. It's almost like the Apostle Paul may have been even thinking Psalm 73, verses 25 to 28, when he's writing that question in the second part of Romans 8, 31. Whom have I in heaven but you? And beside you, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. From eternity to eternity. For behold, those who are far from you will perish. What do you say of these things, unbeliever?" You have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge. That I may what? Tell of these things. So what are you saying about these things? What are you saying about these things? And because God is for us, who can be against us. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, you certainly have outlined for us layers upon layers upon layers of assurance and security in this chapter. But it's a tremendous honor for us to be able to explore these final few questions and statements to bring yet again to our human hearts, hearts that are given to doubt and discouragement, even more reminders of who we are in Christ Jesus. So as a church family, I pray that you would give us wisdom as we explore these questions and phrases over the next few weeks. And and Lord, uh, we would be remiss if we did not pray for those who are either indifferent or maybe even embittered against these things, I pray that you would have mercy on their souls, and that they would need their des- they would realize their desperate need for the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, it's wonderful to hear of two coming to Christ this last week. Lord, uh, give us many, many more. As you tarry, in Christ's name we pray. Amen.